0: This is the Design Spark Podcast. Yes, that's right. The Design Spark Podcast. Lucy Rogers, Beck, Hill and Harriet Brain. We are the presenters so you'll be entertained as we talk about tech and we have a good laugh about the past and the present and the future and stuff. This is the Design Spark Podcast.
1: Coming up. So we occupied a gallery in Tate Britain and we turned it into a tattooing space. Oh, wow. You know, working in climate change is intrinsically quite depressing, but actually I'm lucky enough to have one of the few jobs that involves being hopeful and thinking about hope and being inspired by other people's hope.
0: You're listening to the Design Spark podcast, Expansion Pack, giving you a little bit extra of your favourite podcast. Today's episode is the Expansion Pack for our climate engineering episode. If you've not heard this already, there's still time. Head to designspark.com forward slash podcasts to hear it and the rest of Series 3. I'm Beck Hill and I'm about to talk with climate charity worker and campaigner for a better future, Dr Alice Bell. Just a brief note that as we recorded this, we were unfortunately in a lockdown, so there is a little bit of interference on the line. Hey, Alice. Hey. How are you going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to speak to you because I was spotting up a bit on everything that you do. And I noticed that you're about to release a illustrated book called Can We Save the Planet? Yeah, it just came out last week. It's called Can We Save the Planet?
1: And it's got 150 illustrations. So if you're the sort of person who likes to browse for a book and kind of have like deep philosophy and difficult science, but you don't necessarily need a whole page of like 300 word tiny point text at you or you're just in the mood for something that's a little bit more browsy? this is the book for you
0: yeah I mean that speaks to me very highly because the thing I found is last year I last year I did two very serious types of things I was I was both in a play called Kill Climate Deniers which was a sort of action sci-fi comedy but a very dark one about the future of the climate and I also wrote a stand-up comedy show called I'll Be Back which was about the future and doing both of those I got really depressed because I had to do loads of research how did you find it writing the book how do you stay optimistic about the future
1: well, it was it was a bit of a journey, maybe similar to the one that you had. Um, because my day job is I work for a climate charity called Possible, and we work we focus on climate change, and also we try and focus on positive things that you can do. We try and bring the hope. We give people practical things that really make a difference, and that actually means that my everyday work life is often quite hopeful. You know, Working in climate change is intrinsically quite depressing, but actually I'm lucky enough to have one of the few jobs that involves being hopeful and thinking about hope and being inspired by other people's hope. And then writing this book, I mean, first of all, you write a book, it's quite um, an isolating thing to do, just on your own research. But also I was looking at a whole range of different environmental issues, biodiversity loss, insect decline, soils, plastic pollution. And I was like, oh, these, these things that I've managed to kind of, I mean, I read up on them because I care about them, but I've been avoiding really looking at them in depth. And now I have to look at this stuff in depth, but also having to kind of engage with some of the harder aspects of it, which frankly, I I don't have to do in my day job normally. So it it was a kind of dark experience in some ways writing the book. But I think I came out the other side hopeful. Mm. Like I was really lucky enough to do another bit of research last year for a magazine that the Wellcome Trust used to run called Mosaic. And I got to interview some really inspiring people doing work on plastics and science. And you just see people doing stuff that's making the change and that really keeps me chipper.
0: Is there an example that you can give us at the moment? Well I mean I
1: guess I'm going to give an example of a project that I work on so I guess I'm a bit biased on it but it is one I mean I work on it because I really believe it and I get to see it every other day so I really get to see its hopefulness up front. It's this project from the southeast of England that has basically developed solar-powered trains Wow. So, you know, like some train stations have solar panels on them. Like Blackfriars near me is this whole amazing solar bridge, which if you've seen the latest Mission Impossible film, is this great scene where James um, James Bond, Tom Cruise runs across it. Yeah. But that's just like powering the station. It doesn't power the trains. But there's this project that we've been working on with Network Rail and um, community energy groups in the southeast of England to plug in solar power, solar farms into... And basically, if you're taking a train sometime, I hope in the next year between Waterloo and Weymouth it'll be partly run on solar power and we've got this incredible project in Cardiff doing it there as well and this project apart from the fact it's like solar freaking railway that's just exciting yeah apart from that it was the idea of it came from community groups in the southeast of England it was a group in Balkan which is this tiny little village which people have heard of because it was the first place in the UK where people started to try fracking so like several years ago now if you're like an old climate activist like me you'll know Balkan because it was where everyone had a big Big fight about fracking. But the community there kind of had to think about climate change and energy in a way that most of us get to ignore. And they decided they wanted to build a big solar farm. And while they were building their solar farm Hmm. that the community was going to own this was really important to them as well. While they were building that, they started to think, could we power the railways? And they asked an electrical engineer that happened to live nearby and he was like, Well, maybe in theory. And we were like, Well if we can do it, in theory, we should definitely get on with this because, you know, climate change is a thing. So let's get on with it. Yeah. And a big grant from the government later and lots of lots of research and people tearing their hair out. We've got sort of freaking railways.
0: Yeah. Well, it's. I think what I love about it is I find myself, I tend to switch between the two thinking, I really hope that you know, they—the the, <laughs> the all mysterious—they. I hope they make something that fixes everything, and and you see it from a technological point. But I also feel so helpless as just a member of society. And you know, I see the marches and and the petitions and everything like that, and I just feel so helpless sometimes. And it's so nice. It must be so nice and rewarding for you to see where those two things meet and actually cause things to happen and move forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's why I work at possible. And it really drives a lot of the work we do, which is that we give a way of connecting the politics and the social side of things and the culture with the technology, because it's very easy for people to look at climate action and be like, well, I'm a citizen, and I'm going to do political work. But also, we need the techno fixes, and they're separate. And actually, although there is a kind of spectrum of how much anyone is going to be involved, and obviously, I'm not saying that, you know, anyone who's not an expert can just go in and invent solar railways, the way we did that was about a process of getting community groups who had expertise about their communities and their local area. And a lot of them also had developed a lot of expertise in energy just because they were interested in it. But also with you know the Energy Futures Lab at Imperial College, which is one of the world leading centers for it. And it was about connecting those people and their expertise and their enthusiasms to build something that was going to be a better way of doing it and a faster way of doing it. And there's another project we're really excited to um I was gonna say get off the ground, but it's one of the projects where you go underground. We've been working with heat pumps, which are a way of having renewable heat. They work a bit kind of everyone says the way to explain it is like a backwards fridge. <laughs> And <laughs> um, this simple way of describing them is that they they don't need very much heat to be able to create a lot of heat oh. so you can lay a load of heat pumps under the ground if you've got enough space and they can take heat from the ground and then they can use that to heat homes and buildings and maybe swimming pools around there now if you live in the countryside you might be familiar with this because people have it where they have more space but in cities it's quite hard to have a ground source heat pump because we just don't have enough space yeah so we've been working with Hackney Council to trial this but we're really keen to bring it around the world uh, but certainly across the UK which is to work with parks that are often really looking for ways to have a an income stream uh, but the idea is not just to do a heat pump and like work with the council and like put them in when people aren't they don't really know but like engage the park user groups and say like do you want this where do you want it when would you like us to install it mm. my colleague Neil's been getting park user groups out like testing the temperature of different bits of the park and like sticking thermometers in the grass and like learning about heat.
0: I love that. What would you say if someone is listening to this expansion pack right now and they're thinking, oh, I'm a member of a community group that uses a park or I use trains or something like that. What step would you suggest they do if they want to move further towards helping with these things to tackle climate change?
1: Well, if you're part of a park user group or you just love a park near you, if you go to our website, it's wearepossible.org and look on the heat section or just Google powering parks. And my colleague, Neil, who runs that, I'm sure he'd love to chat to you. Um, He's already talking quite a lot to different councillors up and down the country. So it might be that, you know, you live near one of the ones that he's already been warming up, but he can think about how you might be involved. The other thing you can do is see if there's a local community energy group. And there's a group in the UK. We have groups called Community Energy England, Community Energy Scotland, Community Energy Wales. And they are really good hubs for finding out about whether there is a group near you that maybe has a solar farm or a wind farm or a hydro project that is owned by the community and run by the community. And you can volunteer in those. Sometimes you can buy a share with some money and you own a bit of it and you'll profit from a bit of it. So there's lots of community energy projects up and down the country and they've been the kind of lifeblood for a lot of our work and the people who like with the project in Balcombe that's become the solar powered railways, you know, they've been the places that have generated ideas. So if you're someone who's interested in tech and interested in clean tech, actually trying to see if there's anyone in your local area who's already doing a community energy project or wants to get one off the ground is a really good way of, of starting.
0: My final question is, as this is a podcast, so everybody is listening, they can't see what's happening, but I'd like you to verbally show us your climate change tattoo.
1: (laughs) Okay. So people started investing in climate research in the 1950s. The first thing that was probably invested into was a lab in Hawaii because this guy was like, where am I going to measure carbon dioxide? So they set up this lab in the late 50s to measure how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere. And it's an incredible bit of research because it's been going since then. Mm. Like there are not many experiments that have been going that long. And it was a real sign that these people like really fought to keep having funding. And as it, another sweet bit of the story is that it was then run by the guy who set it up, SUN, which is proper intergenerational science. Anyway, if you go to the Keeling study, because the guy set up was called Dr. Keeling, And the graph that you get from all this data is called the Keeling Curve Mm. because it curves upwards with how much carbon dioxide is increasing over time. And you can go to their website and you can download the data and you can find out how much carbon dioxide there was in the atmosphere for the year you were born. And so I have that reading tattooed on my shoulder. And it was an amazing consequence of an art project developed by a group called Liberate Tate that we did as part of a protest against oil sponsorship of the Tate galleries just before the Paris talks. So we occupied a gallery in Tate, Britain and we turned it into a tattooing space. And a friend of mine tattooed this reading from the Keeling Curve on me and on lots of other people. Oh, wow. At one point we stood in a line to kind of replicate the graph of the carbon dioxide levels going up. And it was, it was a really beautiful piece of art. And it's, it's a real memory for me to carry on with me is something that we can't normally see because we can't see climate change and it can be really easy to not think about it and so it's a way of permanently putting something on my skin to make me remember it always mm. and the number is 340 so anyone who's geeky enough will now know how old I am yeah. but you have to go and cross-reference that with the data
0: <laughs> I love that well that I would say that sums up quite a large portion of our listeners to be honest <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dr Alice Bell that was so so interesting and genuinely overall fairly positive. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thank you for inviting me. It was really nice to have a chat. That was Dr. Alice Bell, co director of the climate charity Possible. To hear more about her work, visit wearepossible.org. And for more expansion packs, Design Spark episodes, and other great content, head to designspark.com forward slash podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, and tell a friend. I've been Beck Hill. Bye.